0: Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And today our special guest is Layla Miller, who's co-author of the book Made This Way. What got us into looking into this book and and setting up this interview was the Gospel of Life conference we had. And you just heard uh, three episodes by Dr. Lappert not uh, just a few weeks ago regarding transgender, parents came up to us and said, I don't know what to say to my children. I don't know what to do. I feel paralyzed. Next thing you know, I read this book, Made This Way, who goes over all these topics that talks about the teachings, how to talk to small children, how to talk to older children. And so this is a great opportunity to hear from the co-author of Made This Way to find out how do we address these tough issues in our lives. You're you're an author of many books. I know you're a parent of eight and grandparent of many. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us else, uh, what else about yourself?
1: Well, um, so I am a revert to the Catholic faith, although technically I never actually left, although I had one foot out the door, so to speak. I was um, raised and catechized as a Catholic in the 1970s and 80s, Okay. Which should kinda of give us kinda of <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you really don't need to elaborate on that, you know, do you? <laughs> it's
1: like the same story. Everybody has the same story in my generation. Yeah, really poor catechesis. So when I was already married, um to my nice, you know, agnostic Jewish husband and we had three kids and um we were six years into our marriage, I was going to leave and become a Bible Christian. And um my mom was the one who said, Oh, find out what you're leaving before you leave it and she gave me a book of apologetics and the rest is history. I never heard of apologetics. So anyway, it was uh that was about 24 years ago now and we now have um we had five more children after that and uh now we have seven grandkids and we just my husband converted as well. He was he had a, a massive conversion of his own. Yeah. And um we so that's it. We we love our faith and and uh um you know, I I have for the past 24 years just wanted to teach others the faith in kind of clear simple ways and so that's what we also hope to do here in this book
0: Well I I guess I'm lucky I'm a convert so I didn't grow oh, nice. the 70s and 80s were oh. a blur I was doing stupid stuff but at least yeah. I didn't I didn't know the bad faith part of it I came in yeah. around 99 just as about it was you know hitting the fan with the uh uh priest scandal and the oh, whole thing Oh yeah so. yep Oh yeah oh a lot of fun
1: a lot of fun. We've had, we've had a lot of fun these last few decades, I'd
0: say. <laughs> and we're probably in for more, too, so I don't know that they keep... stay buckled up, right? Buckle up. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the book Made This Way, because, um, you know, it's interesting. We, had, we do a Gospel Life conference here, and mm. we had a speaker come in who's a plastic surgeon, also a deacon, to mm-hmm. talk on the gender identity. Mm-hmm. And he gave about an hour and a half talk, and people were mesmerized. When we had lunch, I had people come to me, parents say, I don't even know how to address this. I feel overwhelmed. I don't I don't know what to do. And that was in October, and I swear within a week, I found your book, your Entrance book, mm-hmm. made this way. And I thought, that's exactly what they were complaining about that they don't have. Mm-hmm. So if you could talk a little bit about the book, what, how it came to be, and what's, you know, you know, how long you'd kind of been thinking about it, or whatever you think would be germane to the people listening.
1: Sure. So uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm just a parent out there. There's all these other Catholic parents and Christian parents who are just pretty much petrified as to what they're watching happen in the culture, and they don't, you know, you feel like you're just free falling. You don't know what to do. You're terrorized for your children. Um, because every time you think, you know, we've hit bottom with something else, there's a new thing that hits us. And and these aren't things that I dealt with when my, the first few of my children were growing up. So my oldest is 27, my youngest is 8. And we almost can think, think of it as having raised our kids in two different generations culturally because the older kids never had to really talk about, you know, gay marriage. I mean, that wasn't even a thing, and there was no internet yet, and and it wasn't in every um, library and school and uh, children's movie or TV show, and and all of this. Um, and then you know, then all of a sudden, now it's not just that stuff, but now we've got the transgender stuff, like you said, where we're we're denying now the very nature right. of a human being. It's like reality is being denied in the most bizarre, surreal ways, and so everybody's a little off. You know we're off we're caught off guard we don't we we have no balance anymore we're a little afraid so essentially um I blogged for a long time i i um i I'm able to um i have been able to teach the faith like I said my thing is kind of to do it very clearly and just simply, and so that has worked well, but I had a lot of parents and moms asking me oh, how are we gonna raise our kids and this and they specifically at first were asking me about um boys'cause for a while, this pornography—that was the big thing we right. were talking about. So I, I wrote my first book, "Raising Chase Catholic Men," and that was just a self-published thing that I was trying to get out to the um, to my friends and such. And uh, and then you know as the years of a couple more years went along and now transgender and all that i thought we need to expand this and teach about all of these issues of human sexuality that they all touch on each other and they're all about everything that's having everything is collapsing right now is because of the misuse of human sexuality and so trent and i actually are old friends from way back he's he's a, he's a youngster i'm i'm an oldster but um
0: yeah i'm with we, you yeah yeah <laughs>
1: He's only got two little tiny boys, and uh, he hasn't raised any kids yet, but he has the research and the apologetic skills. So we decided we both kind of had the same ideas that we really need to help parents and teachers and priests and youth ministers. I mean, this is for anyone, really. And so we had the same idea. We're like, okay, we're going to put it together. It's going to have good research, but it's going to be really accessible, really easy to read, and we're going to cover these ten topics. And first we're going to give a little quick catechesis on each one so that everybody can get up to speed since we're so poorly catechized. And then we're going to talk about how to speak to little kids about this particular topic and then how to speak to big kids or teenagers about this topic because you cannot speak the same way to little kids as you do to big kids about the sexual issues. So essentially that's what we've got.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's like mixing faith with common sense. And, boy, if you could do that, that would go a really long way.
1: It's... Uh, Exactly right. We have taken the approach of um, a very traditional way of teaching the moral law, which is the natural law, and I didn't even know that was a term. I didn't know that I had been teaching my kids that way all along, and yet I found out in my 40s, oh, there's a name for this, and the Church has been doing this forever. (laughs) And I'm
0: glad I've been doing it right.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly, and we, we never talk about it anymore, but basically what natural law is, it's that we can know the moral law based on just the light of reason alone. We don't need revelation to, to know, for example, um, you know, the nature of something. So what is the nature? Like, like, you know how human beings, we make things, we create things, and so we know that right. if we create a chair, the nature of a chair is to sit in it, you know, or the nature of a comb is to comb your hair with it. Um, so God created, and everything he created has a nature as well. And so we can look at a thing and we can say, what is this thing and what is its purpose? What is its nature and what is its purpose? And basically that's what we do with human sexuality, with a human body, with the human person. We can see from God's creation and his design what the nature is and how we ought to use that, um, that thing. In this case, it's our, it's our sexuality, it's our bodies. So it's reasonable. Like everything is, it can make sense. And if you can make sense of the world to kids today – since they're in chaos right now in right. the culture, right. they are more likely to, to stick with that truth because it, it resonates. We're made, to, we're made to, have a, um, to, to to receive the truth and to and have it resonate with us. So, so we do go on that basis of not just kind of like, this is what the Church says and, you know, just because it's so mystical. Or, no, we really get to the heart of it, and you can, you can use these types of arguments even with people who are not religious at all.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's really helpful because they hear so many other arguments, and when you can use logic and they get it, mm-hmm. then they know mom and dad are telling the truth.
1: Yes, exactly. And when your children are little, I always say your children trust you f- implicitly when they're small. So cultivate that that uh, friendship with them. Again, you know, parents should be parents first, but you also want to be a friendly parent. You want to be someone that is accessible to your child. And when your child trusts you as a little kid and comes to you with some questions that are maybe even shocking, because frankly we are not always able to protect them and their innocence anymore, because the culture doesn't have our back anymore on this. Um, when they come to you with questions, you want to make sure that you don't freak out and you don't shame them or say what you know we can't talk about that. What are you What are you talking about? We don't. <laughs> where,
0: you, where did it, you hear that? It's kind of like it, the old, the Christmas story where they wash his oh, mouth yes, out with yes, soap, I love right? That. <laughs>
1: That's a great movie. We watch that every single day.
0: Oh, uh, we do too. Oh, it's
1: so fun. But, um, but exactly, you have to just almost, if you're dying inside, you have to just relax and not show that to your child, but rather let them know that you're always available to answer their questions in an age-appropriate way, of course, and we go into a lot of that in the book. But uh, that way they're assured to keep coming back to you, rather than to never come back to you again if they get a bad reaction, and then they'll start to go to the Internet or their or their peers as they get older. So cultivate that young, and then by the time they're teenagers, they're already used to knowing that they will get a good and a, a friendly and a, a truthful answer from you. And I have found that to be true. I, I mean, I um, you know, I, I can't do any double-blind experiments with my kids, but they know <laughs> And they have always known that, you know, we will answer their questions and we won't shame them or make them feel bad about coming to us.
0: You know, I thought you did a good job in the book really talking about the three different types of parents. And you Mm -hmm. kind of touched on it, but I think it would be good to kind of talk about that because we do see parents that just want to be their kids' friends Mm. at at almost any cost. And unfortunately, the cost is really high.
1: Yeah, it's funny that the um, we talk about the two extremes in parenting, and both of those extremes, which I'll go over, lead to the same bad end, the right. same bad results. So you've got the permissive parents. Who are, we all know them, you know, the cool mom or the cool dad, and they just, you know, rules are, you know, we just want our kids to be happy. We don't want them to feel a negative emotion. And also, um, we, we want to be loved too. We want to be their friend. We want them to really think we're great. And uh, we don't want to risk them thinking badly of us or whatever. And right. so that is just a disaster because um, those kids will tend to rebel. Because they have no structure, and they have no um they have no parents essentially, mm-hmm. that's your role, so that's a really, really bad model and then there's the authoritarian parent who is mostly basing uh parenting in either a lot of pride or a lot of fear based parenting where you're trying to almost scare your child into yeah, it's being,
0: intimidation um,
1: it is and it's it's rules rules, rules, but no um no softness, no friendlies, no explanations, no reasons. know that this you know you should be doing this because teaching the rules because it's out of love. I mean we want what's best for you we're you know we're your biggest advocate, but it it might be you know it's that's not how that extreme works. That extreme is just kind of mean. You know, there's a mean parent that's not accessible and they also have rebellious kids. You know, so they're going to rebel. Yeah, the
0: minute they that's, turn 18, they can't get out of there fast enough.
1: Oh, fast enough. I mean, yeah, they're, they're booking it out of there. So then you have the, the middle ground, which is the right way, in our opinion, to parent, uh, which is the friendly parent. We kind of call that in the book, the friendly parent. You're definitely the parent and the rules apply, but you're friendly, you explain why, you talk to your children, you like to be with them, you enjoy each other, and yet you're, you're going to make sure that they have the boundaries that God wants them to have and that you are required and ob- obligated as a parent to give them. And that is something that can make a child feel secure, um, trusting, um, You know, uh, like they have a firm footing in a world that's gone crazy. And they want to be, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful family when the parents are the parents but they're also kind and they're good, and they give reasons about their, the rules that they set down.
0: Well, you can be friends when they're twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five, sure. forty, right? But it, at and that stage, great. you got to be yeah. the parent.
1: Exactly. If that's not firmly in place as the first and foremost, they they have plenty of friends. I mean, goodness, they could have infinite numbers of of friends and acquaintances. They they only get two parents, so these this is this is our job and. And in fact um we talk in the book there's a there's a document that the that the church wrote in in uh nineteen ninety five uh the Pontifical Council for the family wrote the truth and meaning of human sexuality it's guidelines for education of sexuality in the home so it's, it's guidelines for parents and um essentially uh yeah th- they laid down the fact that this is your obligation like the, i I went through and highlighted how many times it said these things are your duty or your obligation <laughs>
0: and they really <laughs> are you run out of ink.
1: Oh, uh, pretty much. And, and I and the reason I found that document is because I had too many friends who are wonderful Catholic parents, but they would tell me privately, "Oh, I can't talk about human sexual. I can't talk about sex with my kids." I and they went off. The kids would go off to college never having sat down or heard these overarching uh, principles or, or understand. And I'm thinking, who do you think is going to teach your child if the, if you don't?
0: Yeah, some knucklehead, and then they're going to hey. believe what that person said.
1: Exactly, and then the culture is more than ready to take your child and devour your child. So the, the that document talks, I, I, that's why I went through it every time it just said, oh, obligated, duty. We have to remember, yes, it's fear, we are fearful sometimes, but this is our, we're accountable to God for whether or not we teach our children well. So um, that's just my, my battle cry, is, don't lose your confidence, parents, this is, this is our job. Well, you
0: know, it's funny because, you know, the very first chapter, you know, should be everybody's goal, getting your kids to heaven. Yeah. If that doesn't motivate you, I, I don't know what would.
1: Yeah, it's, unfortunately, I, I've seen even Catholic parents, and I, I mean, we all can fall into this occasionally, but some people are just really caught up in the idea that, well, um, success for my child, you know, we go to Mass and we do, but success for my child is, Getting into a really good college and making sure they get, you know, their masters and they're this, they're that, and then they get set up in a really good career, and that they're really um, well, uh, well established and, and have some status in life, and, and they have material things. It's like, wait, wait, wait! I don't remember Jesus talking about any of that. I, I think he talked about virtue. I think he talked about. Um, Even, you know, marriage, vocation of marriage, he talked about uh, uh, how to get us to our ultimate end, which is the only purpose for being here, which is to be united with God for all of eternity. That's what we're made for. So if we're not having that as our focus, our first priority as parents, we're dropping the ball. And no one can substitute for us that we have to do this. So hopefully... um, You know, uh, education, all that is great. You know, we love that as Catholics, but it's secondary to whether or not our kids get to heaven.
0: Well, and I think that's a great motive. I mean, again, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. If they have all the accolades and don't get to heaven, are you, as Mm. in the end, as a parent, are you going to say, "Wow, that was really successful"?
1: Yeah, I know. Can you? I know. And I I just think we live. You know, I always think of the fish in in water. When you're a fish and you're swimming around in water, you don't recognize the water. The water's just there. It's not something you're conscious of. And I think in the same way Catholic parents can get to the point where we're just kind of swimming around in this culture and we have forgotten to delineate between what is a Catholic principle or philosophy and what is a cultural idea that's crept in.
0: Well, you're right. And and the culture has crept, not only crept in, it's it's moved in mm-hmm. in, in a lot of people. And that's that's the problem. So I think starting off with Getting to heaven and then natural law, which people just for some reason or other seem to bypass mm-hmm. and go right to the issue without no without any foundation.
1: Yeah, there has to be a foundation. I, I, I someone said this recently that we we're having such a problem because nobody has a philosophical base for anything anymore. And I I was not taught classically. I mean, I was taught just in public schools. I went K through twelve public schools and. Somehow, um, my brain just works logically, so I always had to have things make sense to me. But I, I'm understanding that I'm kind of the um, I'm the exception to the rule. Most people uh, lead with other considerations, like you know their feelings. I mean, uh, you know, this doesn't feel good, or this this makes me happy, or yeah. so they don't really have a principle that underlies why they make decisions, other than I just feel that this would make me happy. And that's disastrous. That, that's that's disastrous. That's not how we're supposed to go. Um, feelings change with the wind. So, th- well, that's, that's right. A firm foundations.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're ruled by emotion and your intellect takes a back seat, yikes.
1: Mm. Really bad. Yeah, I think we're look uh, we're seeing that. I mean, we're seeing that. You see that in, um, again, the the most obvious thing is the transgender issue that we're facing, where we're we're at the point where. It's so basic that I think it was Tony Esselin, one of my favorite writers, he, he said that you know the essence of being male or female is so basic and so primal that it's the first thing we remember about someone we meet and it's the last thing we forget. So, for example, I won't remember the hair color of the clerk maybe that served me at, um, you know, at, at, at the department store, but I will remember whether that was a man or a woman. It's so primal.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I remember I actually marked that was one of the first things I marked reading when I went through the book because it was mm. so true. And I have probably yeah. the worst memory. If they ever, if there was a crime they wouldn't want me in you know, to <laughs> identify somebody. My wife will say, Well, who was that? I go, I don't know, it was some lady mm. and she'll go, What's she go, What'd she look like? I said, I don't know. What color hair? Yeah. I know I know she had hair. But I can't tell you what color it was.
1: And that's exactly right. You may not know any detail of that person, but you will always, just like you said, you will always know whether it was a man or a woman. Um, you know, the androgynous type of person is so rare as to be, um, unfortunately, it's becoming more common. But it actually unsettles us in a way, and because you, you, that's you think, wait a minute, you actually stop consciously and say, is that a man or a woman? We need to know instinctively because that's so basic. And I always even go back to I, I think it was a genius when in the um, uh, um, the Passion of the Christ this, the Satan figure the Satan uh, mm-hmm. character is right. androgynous. Yep. Because it's so unsettling, humanly speaking, we are not you know we don't feel at peace inside when we see someone who is just unidentifiable as male or female. So That's how primal it is
0: yeah and I, I i can't agree more it just it it does seem out in the ordinary and somehow we tend to put all that in the back seat and just say it is feelings it's and feelings. we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings it's really false compassion is what it is
1: it's a false compassion it's how the evil one works you know he's going to work with our emotions, and so we feel very um it, we want everyone to to be happy we do we want we don 't want anyone, especially our children this is and women we are Guilty of this, moms are guilty of this. We don't want our children to feel any negative emotions, and so if we feel like they are going to be hurt in some way or they're going to be um, struggling with with a negative emotion, we want to shield them and protect them, and um, and so we go along with. I mean, it's disastrous, but we go along with whatever they bring us, you know, and their emotions, and um, and it's 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 to their peril. That's what we're not seeing. Um, so, I yeah. can actually
0: use a spoonful of that or two every once in a while.
1: Uh, the but,
0: compassion piece of it for the kids, so they well, don't have the hurt feelings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and and that's the thing. Like, what is the? I again, I you know, I hear these things. I'm like, oh, that that's really something. Really caught me the other day where someone said, we are very good these days it's much easier to teach niceness than it is to teach true charity because niceness is easy. It's just be nice, just kind of go along with everything. But true charity also, it's about willing the good of the other. It's about um, wanting to ensure that that soul is protected and that that soul can make it back to God. So it's a completely different thing, but we haven't distinguished that. We, We can't make that distinction anymore.
0: Yeah, we see in 1 Corinthians, we hear love rejoices in the truth,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: not niceness, not,
1: exactly.
0: not, not accommodating, but you've got to share, in love, but you've got to share the truth.
1: Yes. My favorite line in Scripture really is uh, Jesus before Pilate in the Gospel of John, where um, he says specifically, for this reason I was born, for this reason I came into the world. And I mean, your ears should be perking up at this point. Right. He said, and it's to testify to the truth. And anyone who is, you know, of the truth hears my voice. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And then, of course, Pilate comes in with his famous, what is truth?
0: Right. You know? Right. So we, and we uh, now, now there's not what is truth. It's I'll create my own.
1: I'll create my own truth. And so we have to pick a side. Are we, we going to pick Pilate's view of truth? Or are we going to pick Jesus' view of truth?
0: Yeah, you would think it would be easy, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, in this culture, it is harder and harder and harder to pick the truth. And it's because it's it puts us in a position of being disliked, shamed, mocked, and again, who wants to be socially shamed or mocked?
0: Yeah, and Most it's an intimidation see. factor. And when you don't feel confident yeah. in it, you're gonna you are gonna be yeah. afraid, and then you don't do anything. You're better, like yeah. paralyzed.
1: Yep. Yeah. you you don't do anything. You're paralyzed, or or worse, you start to justify and say, "Well, you know what? Maybe." Maybe the church does need to change on this, and maybe, you know, maybe we need to look at uh, what psychologists are saying and what, you know, people, ch- you know, things change, and, and we don't need to be that old-fashioned, and
0: and, th-
1: and then you're sunk. I mean, then you're sunk, because then it, it just, it keeps going. Um which is why I say, for little kids especially, I, I think there's nothing better we can do than kind of bring back some of these old fables and such. And I love, because people learn through stories, too. There's a lot of morality tales through stories. Right. It's not just the story. It's what's it's the principle that underlies the story. And so I always say, get a copy of The Emperor's New Clothes for your kids.
0: <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up in a second. That's funny you bring yes. that up. Yeah.
1: Yes, well, yes. Great minds think alike. If you If you... If you imbue them with this story, if you get them almost to memorize this story, you realize it actually parallels the whole transgender thing we're going through right now. And you want to inoculate kids against the culture, the lies that is being are being fed to them. So really we have everyone going along with and not wanting to be socially shamed or not wanting to be the oddball that says, wait a minute, he's naked, you know. Right. Um, but going along with it, oh, he's wearing these beautiful clothes. And finally it takes this little kid. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that very biblical too? You know, this little child can see the truth and is the one to finally speak the truth in a, a in this country that has just gone mad with lies. So that's a really good it's just basic stuff, but your kids can understand that fable.
0: Oh yeah. They matter of fact they think it's funny. Yes. That people actually think that way. So Would yeah, I think, think it is a great example, like you said.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it's it's just inoculation. I just keep thinking, how, you know, we've got to think of how to inoculate the kids so that once they get out into that world, that they're already clear thinkers um, and that they can't be sucked into the lie.
0: You just got done listening to the first part of our interview with Layla Miller, co-author of Made This Way, a book that helps parents understand and explain the tough moral concepts that the world is trying to jam down our throats. If you're interested in having someone come out and speak from the Respect Life office on this book, go to respectlifedenver.org and click on Made This Way. There's a calendar there, you can schedule a talk so that we can come to your parish and speak about these things to parents so that they feel more comfortable addressing these issues that our kids are hearing in school and when they're out in the community. We'd like to thank Layla for coming on today really want to encourage people to come listen to the second part because it really is important to hear why this book was put together and how it can benefit all of us. So stay tuned next week for the second part of our interview with Layla Miller and Made This Way.